Welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. This is Coach Kevin Furtado. Welcome to Episode 74. <clears throat> Today we have Coach Jason Trout. Jason Trout is a 2005 graduate of Muskingum University where he played for the legendary coach Dr. Jim Burson. Jason earned a scholarship to Division II Ashland University, later transferring to Muskingum University. Jason has coached basketball since 2006 at all levels, being a varsity head coach from 2011 to 2016. Jason is currently a coach for Nike's All-Ohio Basketball and the youth director for Philo Boys and Girls Basketball in Ohio. He also works out players privately. Jason resides in Zanesville, Ohio, with his amazing wife, Danny, and five beautiful children, Rusty, Riley, Reagan, Rogan, and Ryder, all R's. All I, I will ask him about all the R's when, during the podcast, uh, but I'm so excited. Uh, Jason is actually, I, I saw his name in a podcast with Hardwood Hustle uh, with um, Adam Bradley and T.J. Rosine, and they were talking to him about his clinic. He had a nice clinic uh, on May 17th. He had some great speakers, Kevin Eastman among a few, T.J., uh, Adam, and also a lot of coaches from the Ohio area, college and high school. Uh, I just want to kind of pick his brain a little bit on what he's doing with the clinic and um, <clears throat> talk to him about, you know, the youth basketball in America today and what he's doing with his program as far as continuing to develop great skill and character with his young kids. So I'd like to welcome Coach Jason Trout. Jason, welcome. Hello, Jason. Hi, Kevin. Coach, how are you? <clears throat> I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, <clears throat> that's always the best. I always trying to get off to a good start here, right? I'm just like your team, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, I appreciate you joining me on the podcast, man. It's always good to talk to great coaches like yourself and so forth. Uh, I'm always uh, looking to learn. So, I, so, again, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. I appreciate you inviting me, and I'm glad we were able to connect uh, on social media through uh, kind of a common thing that we do is uh, one of our many things that we do running clinics. Absolutely on that. I I'm a clinic junkie, just like yourself. I've been really kind of reading up on what you're trying to do. And um, and I tell you, I'm a big fan of Adam and TJ, man. You can't – those guys are doing a great job with that hardwood hustle. I mean, you, I mean what do you think of them? Oh, I mean, there. I have heard them, uh, you know, on other podcasts. I'd never, well, I never seen TJ in person, but I've heard him. Uh, I knew how successful he was at Emmanuel, um, Coach of the Year, National Championships, all that stuff. So, um, but going, I go a little bit farther back with Adam, back to his days on the Hardwood Hustle with Alan Stein. Yes, um, yes. When I was when I was the head coach of Riverview High School in Coshocton County in Ohio. I had Alan come and do some of his uh, stronger team when he was doing the stronger team agility stuff. He would run those clinics, cutting edge clinics. So he came and did two of those for me in two different years at Riverview. And we got to talking and he said, man, I'd love to have you on the Hardwood Hustle. So this was way back then. I was on there with them and got to know Alan. Um, and then that, of course, was how that's how I met Adam. And then I just kind of stayed in contact through social media and a few other things with Adam. And then when the, when this clinic uh, popped up for me, they were 
two of the two of the first people on my list that I wanted to get uh, in contact with. And then, of course, Adam started lead them up is just some phenomenal stuff. If you've never seen it in action, it's it's just unbelievable. He did it with a group of our coaches at the clinic and they were they were connected. So I can only imagine what it would do for a high school team. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that with some of the things you saw at the clinic. Uh, and also, we're going to just talk about some general basketball and building programs and things like that. But first, hey, tell me about – let's give I, – I got to tell you, I loved your five kids, all the names starting with R. You got to give me a little background of that. Oh, my gosh. Well, <laughs> for, I got to tell you, we were talking about – so I, I've been married for it'll be 13 years in August. Uh, my sure. Wife, my wife is just amazing, and I – um, there's a special place in heaven for coaches' wives, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have, you know, why why I was why I'm coaching. She's got she's handling five kids in the bleachers. Uh, so they're ten, eight, six, four, and our youngest will be two in October. Oh man! And so uh, my our oldest is named after my father-in-law, uh, Russell. He we call him Rusty. And then we always liked Riley for my daughter. And then it just, we're like, well, we got two R's. We can't make the third one. Uh, so we ended up Rusty, Riley, Reagan, Rogan, and Ryder. So, and when right. we got, when we got married, we always said five kids because we each only had one sibling. So we thought it would be, we wanted to have a big family. And uh, we were fortunate enough that that, that that worked out for us. Yeah, that's fabulous. I mean, I, I'm always amazed. Um, I, I don't have a family, but, you know, uh, my fiance. So I'm, I'm going close to getting married pretty soon. I'm a little, little bit older than you. I don't have any kids. Yeah, but I feel like I have all the kids that I've coached feel like my family. I know it sounds kind of crazy, um, but I know you coaches with, with kids and so forth. I don't know how you all do it, man. I, I see it at games, man. I, you guys have so much patience. <laughs> uh, well, and uh, it, it is. And uh, I definitely want to come back to what you said about your, your players being kind of your family. Uh, sure. But, uh, it is. And I'm looking up in the stands and she's, you know, I might be upset about the way we're playing and she's upset. And I'm thinking, man, she's really, she's really into this. Well, she's not upset about the game or the official. She's upset about what's going on trying to wrangle five kids in the stands. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely not me during that season. It's, it's all her and she's, she's unbelievable. Yeah, it's uh, it's you know, it's it's teamwork, right? You guys got to work together as a team. I know that. Tell me about your history on how you got started in the game. So I love hearing coaches how they got started. How did how did they create the passion, and the love for the game of basketball, and how that carried over to getting in the coaching? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, um, it goes like for most of us it goes way back. My dad was a was a really good. Uh, played at the local community college um, and then just liked my grandma lived right next door to us and she had a just a you know a basketball hoop and a concrete driveway and that was kind of what we did you know I didn't play a, a game an organized game which most kids my age at that time didn't until fifth grade you know rec league nothing there was no I'm, I'm 37 just turned 37 there's no there was no AAU when I was in fifth grade sure you know my son's playing AAU he's been playing since he was in second grade, you know, <laughs> he's played more games already than I played my entire life. Um, so that was the thing we did was just went down to my grandma's and that was, it started out being, that was the thing I did with my dad and my brother. Um, and then as I got older, 
I'm six seven. I was at, in fifth grade. I was obviously one of the taller ones. And I, hey, you want to come play with our team? We go play in a couple tournaments here. So then I played in our our rec league with our um, in our district, and then got on the all star team, quote unquote, for our for our district, and traveled around, played in a few local tournaments. Then I really liked it because at that time I was taller than everybody else, and <laughs> sure, it wasn't as hard for me as it was for some of the other kids that weren't very big. So. Um, and then got into junior high, um, and my got to, by the time I got to high school. Now we, my high school coach is in the Hall of Fame here uh, in Ohio, um, Todd Van Reith. Um, just a really, really, and and he's when we come back to that, he's where I learned the relationship part of coaching. Um, so my high school coach is in the Hall of Fame. Um, we won our league three out of four years. I was in high school. The year we didn't, we went to the state championship game and lost in overtime. So I was, I was very lucky. I had some just um, unbelievable teammates um, that I played with. Um, and we were fortunate enough to be very successful. And, um, and then when I went to college, I had a scholarship uh, to Ashland University, um, hurt my knee, Played there for a year, hurt my knee, redshirted, and then uh, got a little homesick, was two hours away from home, not playing basketball, um, and, and made the decision, and a, a great decision to come back home. We're about a half hour. I lived about a half an hour from Muskingum College. It's university now, but it was Muskingum College at the time, and I uh, got the privilege to play for uh, Coach Jim Burson, who's in the Hall of Fame, multiple Hall of Fames. Uh, very now he's an author and, and does some uh, solutions based basketball stuff for Nike. Um, so then I got to play for him, learned a little bit more about um, relationships and probably learned more about the game, how to play, how to see things, certain aspects of the game from him than anybody else. Um, and then I knew when I was in college that I, I was going to be a teacher and I loved sports, played sports my entire life. Um, that I wanted to be a coach. And then once I got into teaching and my first year of coaching junior high basketball and just like being around kids and being able to help kids and uh, see them grow, see them succeed in certain aspects of the game and in life. Um, and then once I got a taste of coaching, I knew that I wanted to be a head coach and then kind of learned. I was very fortunate to, to be under some really good high school coaches as a JV coach and really learn how to run a program a first class program, which goes back to my days in high school and playing for coach Burson. Um, and then I think that I was very fortunate to be kind of hitting the coaching stride right when social media, Twitter, YouTube, all that stuff kind of hit. I mean, there's, I, I email myself so many things from Twitter and so many videos from YouTube that I'm like, man, that's really good. Or, you know, you can get on there and find clinic notes and clinic videos and, there's just so much information out there that it makes it, I don't want to say it's easy, but it makes it uh, accessible to be, to have, be really knowledgeable about certain things. Um, so then I got, uh, I was fortunate enough to get a head coaching job at Riverview High School um, and was there for five years. Um, we didn't want a ton of games, but won more games in five years there than they had for a long, long time. Um, and then, after that, I came back to Philo, where I, uh, Philo High School, just outside of Zanesville in Ohio, about an hour south of Columbus, um, is where I, where I'm at now, uh, 
uh, kind of doing all, all sorts of different things. And uh, we're just, like I said, like I told you a couple of days ago, building a house in that district. And that's the district where my kids go to school. That's where I grew up. That's the district I went to. Um, so it's kind of come full circle for me to come back, back to my, where I graduated from and be able to, to do some things that I, the thing that I love. Yeah. And I, I, I really want to talk about your relationship with coach Bursing. Cause I, I don't think your average, um, even your average coach does not know. I studied coach Burson. Um, I haven't really studied him recently, but man, he's got some great concepts and ideas on the game. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with him and what he's a valuable resource for many coaches. Isn't it? I mean, he's, he's, he's fabulous. Oh, he's, <clears throat> and I've told multiple people this and I don't think many believe me unless you know him or played for him. One of the most, he's probably the most intelligent person that I've, I've ever met. Um, <laughs> he knows something about everything, not just basketball, but, but anything. And one of the things that I think is he, he would take a year and I don't know when he started this a year out of every year, he would find something that he was somewhat interested in and he would study that for an entire year. So he became, his father was a mechanic. So one year he studied for an entire year about how to rebuild an engine and cars and those kinds of things. And then the next year he would pick something else that wasn't related to basketball. And then, you know, he's, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly how old he is, but uh, maybe, but he, you know, he's had a lot of years where he studied a lot of things, but basketball wise, um, I think I was kind of spoiled, I guess, because we, we were only a half an hour from him. Um, for those that don't know, he's a, he coached at D3 Muskingum. It's Muskingum University now. Muskingum College has over 500 wins. Uh, his son, Jay, until uh, John Diebler broke the record, was the all-time leading scorer in Ohio without a three-point line. Um, and then John Diebler from Upper Sandusky that played at Ohio State just broke the record uh, when he was in high school. So, um, but he, obviously, uh, we ran the Princeton offense um, straight from Pete Carrell and just so much about the game I was able to learn from running the Princeton with, from Coach Burson and just the different things that you can do. Um, and he still to this day, I call him up, hey, do you want to come, can you come speak at this clinic? I'm trying to get a hold of this person. And he's he's still, you know, as much of a resource for me as as he always was as a player. Um, but just no, I mean, we could talk for hours. There's just so much. He just is very knowledgeable in the game. Um, I don't really know how to. <laughs> There's just so much that you to learn from him from shooting. I mean, every aspect of the game. He's been doing it for a long time and won over 500 games. So, um, yeah, he's just a fantastic resource and a fantastic person huddle is the preferred video and analytics platform for over 6 million users and 150,000 teams worldwide huddle offers a complete performance platform including the most powerful and flexible tools for video analysis with online tools mobile and desktop apps smart cameras analysts and more for more information on Huddle, check out hudl.com or at Huddle on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. Hey, Jason. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Yeah. 
Great, great, great. Hey, welcome back, my friend. Hey, you were talking about Coach Burson, and I, and I, I just wanted to add to that is that is so like I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I contacted a guy named Coach named Randy Brown. I don't know if you know. Yeah. yeah. Oh God, it's like unbelievable resource and the guys that. He's like a mentor. I, should, I, should, I shouldn't say that I know him. I know him through Twitter. Like I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And of course, same, same here. Of course, I'm, um, you know, trying to get him on the podcast and, um, you know, the, the, the experiences that this guy has along with guys like coach Burson, there's so many great resources out there. I'm not sure if coaches are taking advantage of that on learning. What's your, what's your opinion on that? Cause I, I don't see a lot of coaches really at clinics and the, uh, the clinic that you had that, that gym, I mean, that, that gym really, I guess should have been packed full of, uh, of coaches because you had some great speakers there. Yeah. I mean, um, and I wanted to add one more thing about coach Burson real quick sure. that I was thinking of there when we, <clears throat> the attention to the thing that I think that I picked up most about him about teaching the game was the attention to detail. And it wasn't just, when you run the Princeton, there's so many flare screens and, and back screens and cuts and setups to make this happen, to make this happen and counters to this, that it wasn't just, okay, you're going to come off this flare screen, catch it and shoot it. It was, this is the footwork to come off this flare screen. It's one, two, two back steps, catch it with your feet set in a jump stop. And we did it until that was exactly the footwork that needed done because he was so uh, concerned with the details to make it the most efficient that it could be. And it wasn't just, okay, throw the ball. Uh, you're going to back cut. You're going to take two steps away. Come short. I mean, it was so much attention to detail, which I think is what makes him such a successful coach. But um, going back to what you were saying, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. Twitter's my big thing that I'm on. I don't have Facebook. Um, but, and, and I get on YouTube every day. And I might, right now I'm really trying to work on zone offense. And I get on and I, I just get on zone offense and you might click through 20 or 30 videos that don't really apply to what you're looking for, but then you find one or two that are just unbelievable. And the same thing with Twitter. I follow so many coaches that they're like, you know, here's this and you click on it. Oh, that's great. Email it to myself or take a screenshot of the diagram or whatever it is. Um, and I fell in love with clinics <clears throat> by going to the Nike clinic mm -hmm, uh, sure. that Ed Jenka runs all over the country um, and somebody had told me that they're kind of going by the wayside a little bit, but just because there's just not that many people in attendance as there used to be. And I can't imagine what it costs for some of those guys to come. Um, but I went to the Nike clinic at Robert Morris, um, uh, and, and our state clinic in Ohio is really, really good. We've had Kevin Eastman, Brendan, sir, Bob Hurley. Um, so we have a really good clinic here. We're very fortunate and it's fairly full. Um, but one of the first speakers I ever heard was Don Meyer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so might've been my first year coaching JV and hadn't really gotten into it and didn't really know who he was. And then as I started, once I got my notes and started coming back, trying to find some more stuff about him, I start figuring out who he is and was just very lucky to be able to hear him in person. Cause most people that you ask, he's the one, he's the best one they've ever heard. Um, so, and I think it's just, uh, there's something about, and you can watch videos on YouTube or, you know, you can watch a video of a clinic, but there's just something different about being there and just being kind of around other coaches and being in the atmosphere and being able to, if you want to, to ask a question 
but being right there why somebody who's an expert in that particular topic is is explaining it and i don't i don't understand why clinics are kind of falling off i suppose maybe it's because there is so much access to other information in different ways yeah yeah but i almost i kind of i think of that as a supplement to going to the clinic if i go to the clinic and hear about zone offense and i want to go back on youtube and look up you know bill self zone offense i can add to what i learned from him but um i don't know i think it's kind of a mystery and that's what some of the coaches that were at my clinic and like i had adam bradley tj rosine um a couple really really good local coaches kevin eastman's an nba champion world championship coach with the boston celtics you know coach ray allen paul pierce kevin garnett ray john rondo all those guys and we had you know 40 people there we were very fortunate. It ended up being good for our <laughs> Which is probably not was... bad. That's not bad, Jason. I mean, for a lot of clinics. Uh, uh, but you got to give yourself credit for the caliber of guys you had there, man. So terrific job on that. Thank you. And, you know, one thing that I, I, I figured out just through doing all this was you just got to ask. Just ask. You know, I, I didn't know. I'm like, well, it started off with, with uh, Alan Stein. I didn't. I'd heard him. I'd listened to him on the Hardwood Hustle. I got on his on the Hardwood Hustle website, found his email address, emailed him. Hey, I'd like for you to come to a clinic. Boom, he emailed me back. He did it. He did two. Uh, we ended up uh, becoming friends, and now you know I he's one of my resources. If I you know need need certain things, I can go to him. And uh, I didn't figure there was any way in the world. We were really close to getting Bob Huggins to come, but he couldn't make it work. They he had some. Uh, booster events that he had to attend and it was a, it was right around recruiting time um he was close to coming and i didn't figure i thought there was no way i'd get kevin eastman to come but i just emailed him i got his email from alan stein actually um alan sent me his email and i emailed him and we set it up and it worked so i've learned through all this is the best thing you can do is just ask, ask you want to go yeah. watch a practice if I, I wanted to go watch bob hurley practice so I, I called St. Anthony High School. This was before my first year at Riverview. Called St. Anthony High School in Jersey City, New Jersey. The the secretary at the high school, not his secretary. If you didn't, if you know anything about him, he doesn't have a you know he's he's <laughs> as real as it gets. Uh, yeah. I called him. They left him a message. He called me back. I I have a voicemail on my phone from Bob Hurley. <laughs> that was that's been uh, nine years ago. I haven't deleted it. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So, that's pretty um, cool. <laughs> he's like yeah come on out uh i i flew out there flew to jersey city new jersey watched practice and a weightlifting session and went to a summer league game rode in bob hurley's car to the game turned around and flew back in the same day man you and, can't beat that man. yeah that's practice <laughs> yeah and so uh and i think I, i've learned just you know just ask just you want to go watch this practice just ask them if you can come watch it if they say no then you know not to ask you know that's not what they want but so there's so the other thing is we were talking about coaches and being accessible. There's so many coaches out there that are willing to share and willing to help and willing to sit down with you and talk. If you just ask, you know, and that's one that's the biggest thing that I've learned through setting up the clinic and being able to meet some of the people that I've been lucky to meet is I just asked, you know, my first clinic that I did uh, when I was at Riverview was to support a, some of our best friends had lost two children to a kidney disease within three years, two, two young, young children. And they set up a foundation. I, 
thought they were giving away a scholarship. So we wanted to raise some money to, to go towards the foundation. So I called, um, I had uh, Charmin White, who I know you've had on the podcast. Yeah. Just He's unbelievable. Uh, at that time, he'd won seven straight state championships in Georgia. Um, I had Mike Rice, who I met uh, by working camps at Robert Morris, who was uh, and then was at Rutgers. Um, and then his assistant at the time, Andy Toole, who's now the head coach at Robert Morris. Those guys all came, and I just called and asked them, and they showed up. Uh, Randy Montgomery, I think you've had on the podcast. Is that oh, right? I love Randy. Yeah, yeah, that's great. He wrote that book. He's from you know he's from Ohio. He's an Ohio guy. North mm-hmm. Hoover, where he was, is about two hours north of us. He came to that clinic. So I just called these guys. I'm like, hey, I read your book. I know you're local. Would you be interested in coming? Yeah, yeah. He came down. Charmin flew up from Georgia. Mike Rice and Andy Tool drove from Pennsylvania. And none of them took any money. None of them wanted money. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. For coming. Um, they drove. Well, Mike drove from New Jersey at the time. So, um, and I just, I knew my, I knew Coach Rice and Coach Tool. But I didn't know Charm. Well, I did meet Charm. <laughs> That's kind of a, a crazy story for me being just a, a local high school coach. Um, going back, if I can share that. Yeah, sure, sure. Going back to the night. And, I, and it, again, it came back to just asking. After Alan had done his first clinic for me at Riverview, the following summer, there was a Nike clinic at Robert Morris in Pittsburgh, which is where Andy Tool is the head coach. And I knew him. So I'm at the clinic. Um, and I emailed Alan and I said, Hey, uh, I'm going to be at the Nike clinic. I know you're speaking. Would you want to go out and grab a bite to eat afterwards? This was on a Friday night. He's like, yeah, sure. Coach Jones is coming with me. He's speaking right after me. We can all go. I'm like, Coach Mike Jones from DeMatha. Yeah. From DeMatha High School played for Morgan Wood. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm a nervous wreck. Um, So I go to the clinic and watch, um, watch Allen speak, watch Coach Jones speak, and then Charmin. Coach White is scheduled to speak the next morning. Well, he's at the clinic Friday night, and uh, Alan and Charmin are talking, and I'm standing there kind of waiting to go eat lunch without go eat dinner with Alan Stein and uh, Mike Jones of DeMatha. And he's like, Hey, we're about to go eat. You want to come with us? So at this table at Ditka's restaurant in Pittsburgh is me, little high school coach at a little Division II school in Ohio, um, Alan Stein. Mike Jones from DeMatha and Charmin White, seven straight state championships in Georgia, sitting at this table eating a steak. And I'm, they're like, you're not saying much. I'm like, I'm just listening, man. <laughs> I'm just trying to take it all in. Uh, so, And then the, the Wizards were in the playoffs, and those guys are Allen and Mike are from, from D.C. area. They're, I'm listening to those three guys break down the Wizards game as we're watching it on the television. It was just that's how I met Charmin. Uh, and then I emailed him and he came to my clinic uh, the next year. So it all came from just asking, you know, if you want to meet somebody or do something or see something, just ask him. And 99% of the time I've found that people are willing to share. Yeah, and that, that is cool. Cause that's, you're exactly right. Because um, a lot of people, like, even on, on my podcast, they go, man, how do you get like Glenn Welks on Glenn Welks, like a 90 year old, he's coached forever and so forth. Well, you find his email, you try to get his phone number, and you contact him. Just like you're saying, it's just yeah. building building relationships, and maybe people just struggle with that. But um, yeah, and, and I, I got to tell you something. It's it's the I think the game of basketball is made on I call 
guys like you and me, kind of the soldiers of the game, guys who love it, have passion. Um, I don't have any state championships on my resume. Me either. But, <laughs> But but we're we're the workers, man. We're we're the we're the soldiers of the game who love the game, who carry on the game. And I think to all these great coaches you're meeting, they know that. They know how valuable guys like you are and so forth. Because you're selling the game by what you're doing, don't you think? I hope so. I mean, that's kind of my goal, uh, you know. And that's I think that's what you want to do. And I think when when you, and you've had these clinics when guys leave and are like, "Thank you, man. I, I learned a lot. I really appreciate you." you know, you feel like you've been a part. I mean, I didn't speak, but you're, you've been a part in bringing these guys together and, and helped other guys get better. And in turn, that means the ultimate thing we're all looking for is that they're going back to their school and they're making their players, uh, their boys or girls or men or women, they're making them better people, uh, better players and better husbands, future husbands and wives. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and, um, and just to kind of, kind of carry on what you're saying about clinics the clinic that that i have here is all high school coaches um and i've gotten a lot of people that say man they love of course i love listening to college guys but give me a great high school coach any day yeah guys that i can relate to of course i can't relate to their state championships but they all have we all have the same issues and so forth on building a program and um, I, I'm just a believer in the high school coach, even Jason, the division three coaches, the guys that got to do something from nothing. Those are the guys I want to study from. Right. Right. Those guys are in division three. You're getting those coaches are getting guys that love the game so much. They want to play. It's not it's not you know, they're not getting a scholarship. And and I think I've, I've had my high school coach come to both of my clinics and um Jared Renee is the head coach at a, at a low, at, it's not a small, they, they were number five in the NAIA division two this year um, at Mount Vernon Nazarene university. Um, and he's, he's one of the best speakers I've ever heard. And 90% of the people listening have never heard of him. Um, so I think I, I always have, I always try to get a mixture of high school coaches, you know, small college coaches that we can relate to that, you know, he's not getting a seven, he doesn't have a seven, one guard. He doesn't have, or a seven-one center. He doesn't have a guard that's going to the NBA. So a lot of that stuff, you know, and and college guys, people ask me all the time, "You ran the Princeton? Do you like the Princeton?" I said, "I love the Princeton. I run parts of it as sets, but it's really hard. I'm not saying it's impossible because there's I've seen some guys that do a fantastic job running the Princeton in high school. It's really hard because for the most you can't recruit." those guys you can't you need a five that can pass and can knock down a shooter a shot and you might be fortunate enough to have one but you can't go get that guy you know when georgetown was running the prince he could go get a five that could shoot it and pass it and you know some knockdown shooters to to come off the flare screens and stuff so yeah i mean those are the guys you want to you want to learn from yeah absolutely i want to talk a little little basketball here with you and kind of pick your brain you you mentioned um I think it was yesterday or the day before about leadership. And um, the other day I was listening to uh, a great podcast, Jason, by Tim Kite and Urban Meyer called the Focus 3 Podcast. Oh, my God. I mean, put those two guys together. I learned so much. And they were talking about building culture and aligning the power of leadership, culture, and behavior to achieve next-level results. So everybody has to be in line 
not just the coach. And they're really talking about, you know, of course, Urban was talking about his situation, Ohio State, and how he built his program. And so, of course, you're Ohio guys, so you should you should know that. But um, how do you teach your culture in your program, your and whatever you're doing? How do you teach culture? I mean, I think it. The more I learn about it, I mean, it's I'm a I'm a I'm a junior high English teacher, so there's a culture in my classroom. There's a culture in our school that our principal leads, um, you know, and those things and culture, we, you can have bad culture, you know, it's just, you were talking about the, the behavior and I, I can't remember. It's been a few weeks since I listened to them, but I've listened to a lot of, of the focus three podcast when it was Tim and his son, Brian. Yeah. Um, I haven't listened to it since coach, coach Meyer got on, but they talk about behavior, leadership, drives i think it's leadership drives behavior behavior drives yes you know and it starts from the ground up and yeah it starts with the leader the coach the teacher the principal whatever it is but then it it has to be trickled down and all the way through your organization or your team because um we've all probably seen or been a part of organizations where the leader is the only one doing anything and it's not um bought into i guess is a good all the way through and that i think that's the only way culture works and and one of the ways you do that you got to find a way to make those people want to be a part of what you're doing and i've kind of I've, i love john gordon uh the energy bus and he just wrote he just came out with a new one uh the coffee bean um okay and he talks about are you familiar with john i am i love john gordon uh yeah um, I, and I didn't know he had a new book out, man. That guy's the guy has a new book every month, man. He's, he's pretty it's awesome. crazy. Yeah. I used to, I used to have them all read, but they came out, they were coming out so fast and they're all so, so good. They yeah. come out so fast now you almost can't keep up with them, but, um, he has another one. It's a really good, it's a really good story with, uh, his last name's West, but he was a, a football player that ended up in jail and he, what he learned from jail and coming out and sharing his story and things like that. Um, but he talks about getting people on the, the right people will get on the bus if you set your culture. So, you know, if you set your culture and you make it clear that this is what the culture is and these are the standards, um, then the people that want to be on the bus will be on the bus and the people that don't belong will show themselves off. You won't have to kick them off. Um, so, and I've, I've just learned so much since my first job as a head coach that, uh, when the right opportunity comes around, I'm excited to kind of be able to put in place some of the things that I've learned. And the more you think about it, and as a high school coach, you know, some, I don't know if you're a public school or a private school around where I'm at, we only have one private school and he doesn't, doesn't necessarily recruit. Um, now when you get to Cincinnati, Columbus, Cleveland, Toledo, um, those guys, those big private schools are in the state championship in our final four every year. But as a high school coach at a public school, you're, you have the people that go to your district. Um, so being able to formulate that culture through those people is something you really have to, to work on. And you, you don't always have the best player in the league. Um, you can't go get that guy or recruit that guy. So you have to do, I think culture in that setting is such a big part of success. Um, and if you've been a part of a good culture, you know it. And when you leave, you take those lessons with you to your job, your family, whatever it may be.
You there? Hey, Coach. Hey. Yeah, can you hear me okay? Yes. Yeah, what I was saying, and I apologize for the breakup there a little bit. Um, What I was saying was people, I always believe that if people walk in your gym, they can see and feel your culture, right? Oh, I believe that 100%. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's what we try to sell our players and so forth. But I don't think enough of that's going on because I've been in a lot of gyms and I see some things that are going, all right, they, they're a basketball team, but they don't have a culture. Do you think enough coaches – because you, you've been around a lot of programs. I know you're a basketball guy. Do you see like really a positive culture being taught? I think it's coming back around, but I, I'm with you. I've been in some gyms or been at, uh, you know, a scrimmage or a shootout. And and whenever I go to a game, uh, just to watch, if I go to a college game, you know, we're pretty close to Ohio State. Um, or if I go to watch it, just watch a high school game or an A, you, anything. I try to sit as close to the bench as I can because I want to see what the guys on the – I want to watch the game, but I want to see how the guys on the bench are acting. What's their body language like? What's their – when they get subbed out, are they putting their head down, going sitting at the end of the bench, or are they coming out, sitting in the first couple chairs, and they're cheering until it's time for their team to go back in, or they're clapping? You know, are they talking to their teammates? Are the teammates talking to each other? Are they cheering on, yelling instructions? You know, I was, uh, you know, how does the coach interact with the kids on the bench? Um, and I think you can tell a lot when you walk into a practice, and I think you can tell a lot about a culture when you watch a game, if you watch the bench, if you watch body language, obviously is something that's huge that people talk about all the time. But I think, and I love watching it during a game because it's really hard to hide a bad culture when times are tough. Yeah. In a tight game. uh, It's everybody's got a good culture when you're winning by 20. Um, But it's really hard to hide a bad culture, bad body language. And those things, because they rear their ugly head when times are tough, when the game's tied with a minute to go and somebody makes a mistake, somebody turns it over. That's when your culture comes through, I think, you know, and you see a kid put his hands on his head or just completely melt down. And I think that and that's hard for a kid, but I think it comes back to how have you been taught to handle that situation in practice for your entire life, for the entire season, you know? Um, Yeah. And and. I, it's hard to do as coaches, but you have to, it's part of, I mean, it's part of your overall, because you're teaching kids about life down the road. I mean, if a kid fouls out fifth foul, how does he come off the floor? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and, and what is he doing now on the bench? He's sulking at the end of the bench. Um, and I'm a believer that when you come off the bench, you never go to the end and sulk. You go down, you sit next to the coach, you get instructions, regardless of what happened. So we're trying to teach them how to handle adversity, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, my rule was always you come out and you sit in the first open, the first seat, you know, beside my assistant or me or whatever. And then when we're re- if you're not the next guy to go back in, whoever that next guy is, when we're ready to thinking about putting him in, he comes and sits that seat. And everybody moves down. So the person that we need to talk to is right there at the time. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, as soon as something fouls out or somebody fouls out or makes a mistake, you can tell. Um, and it's hard for it's hard for somebody young to do that. And it's hard as a coach because we're all so competitive and things are, you know, the game's competitive and somebody makes a mistake and 
you want everything to go well. But I always met, I always meet my player. We call a timeout or they call a timeout. I go out onto the floor and meet them and give every single one of the five coming off the floor a high five. Right. Because right. no matter, and it's just that little, I learned that from Alan Stein. It's just that little human interaction. Okay, we're connected now. I'm with you. You know, and if you made a mistake, I'm, com- I'm still coming out to give you a high five no matter what. I'm going to pat you on the back when you come by and we go sit down in the huddle. Because I think the one thing that, and I was as guilty of it as anything, is I couldn't let mistakes go. And I learned that later I would ask the kid, you know, he's like, I, I missed those two foul shots. We, that would have won us. I said, did you miss them on purpose? No. Well, what are you going to do? You missed a shot. You know, you're going to miss shots. That's not what lost us the game. And just kind of making those, it's okay to make mistakes, you know. And, and I know some coaches sub somebody out for as soon as they make a, make a mistake, their first mistake. I don't think you can play like that. Right. I would, ne- I would never want to work my job looking over my shoulder thinking that as soon as I made a mistake, a small mistake, I was going to get called into the office or, you know, those kinds of things. And those are things that you learn, I think, as you're, as you're around it more. But I, I was fortunate enough. I never played for a coach like that, but I try to think about what I would want to play for. And there's a quote I've seen so many times that says, be the coach that you would want to play for, or be the coach that you would want your kid to play for. And I think it's really hard to do because it's so competitive, but the one thing that I've kind of learned reading John Gordon's books and so many books is that positive energy is going to get way more results in the long run than negative energy. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, and I think what happens, Jason, and we're all guilty of this. We, we focus on the end product, the winning, the scoreboard. And if, when you don't focus on the scoreboard, I'm telling you good things happen. I mean, I, I totally believe in that. And I tell my team that all the time. I says, do not look at that scoreboard. You just play the game and so forth. But it's hard. <laughs> it's hard for everybody. It is. Yeah. And you know, I, and I think you're, and I think it does, I think you're going to get more results when that kid turns it over for the second time and they look at you. If you're, if I'm throwing my jacket or I'm rolling my eyes or I'm stomping my foot, that kid doesn't think I believe in him. And, you know, if I can look at that kid and, I might just be really, really fired up on the inside, but uh, hey, that's okay. Let's go play defense. Let's go sit down and get a stop. He's like, all right, coach, is, coach believes in me. I'll, I'm going to get it right here. And I think you're going to get more results from that. Um, and it's really, it's hard to do. You know, it's hard because sometimes that scoreboard, you can't help, especially as a coach, but look up at it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, and I, and I, and I, think, I think you're teaching kids that for their future too. Right. You know, if, if that kid gets married in 10 years and every time his wife misbalances the checkbook and he goes crazy on her, you know, I think you're teaching him communication skills. You're te- obviously, that's what we're doing in the long run. You know, very, very few of the guys we're going to coach are going to the NBA, um, but you're teaching them life lessons. And, and they I know how much I absorbed from my high school coach and how many things that he taught me about life and about adversity and handling adversity and communication and having tough conversations that I use in my everyday life that I try to focus on that and think of, and you do too, I'm sure think of the bigger picture as basketball is just a vehicle coaching, whatever we're coaching is just a vehicle to teach these, these young people life lessons. Yeah, I totally agree. Well said coach, tell me about what you're doing now. You're with the um, it's the Philo you're doing, you're, you're basically 
developing. You're almost uh, like a, a feeder type program as far as youth development goes. And tell us about what you're doing and tell us about kind of how you're building kids kind of from the ground up. Are you there? Hey, coach. Okay, sorry. Um, yeah, so we're – so I was a head co- varsity head coach, and I loved it. It was the best thing I've ever done. Um, so then when I when I moved, when I got my job here at Philo, um, um, I, became, I, was, I became an assistant. Um, and then the guy that ran our um, youth program, his kids were getting older, and, and that was really the only part of a basketball program that I'd never been a part of. I'd been a varsity coach. I'd been a JV coach. I'd been a junior high coach. But one of the things that fascinated me was these public schools that win year after year after year after year. And you're going, they have the same, they're right down the road. They are getting the same type kids that I'm getting. What they're not bigger than me, what's going on. So I really became really interested in how do you build such a successful program that leads into junior high. So when those kids go to junior high, they know what they should know. And then you're not reteaching things you should have already taught them. And then when they get to high school, you're able to take that and move up forward, not continue to reteach a two, three zone offense or continue to teach how to guard the ball or how to play help side defense or how to set a screen. So, and when the right opportunity rolls around again for me to be a head coach, I feel like that I want to, and my kids are young, you know, that's, that's where they're at right now. They're in the, I have a fifth grader, a third grader, and a first grader that are playing boys and girls. So, and our, our youth program is boys and girls combined. So I work with the boys varsity head coach and the girls varsity head coach. And the girls coaches um, at the third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade level are really teaching kind of the building blocks of what those coaches want um, want their girls to be able to do when they get to junior high. And same thing with the boys. Um, but yeah, it was something. Um, that as a head coach, I had two really good guys that did a good job, but I wanted to be able to see what it takes. So when I get that opportunity again, I can, you know, I know what it should look like. Um, and the guy that did it before me was fantastic. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, and, and I tell you, if you think you're a good communicator as a coach, coaching fifth grade girls or fourth grade boys will tell you differently. Uh, <laughs> But it's it's this is my first year getting started in that um, and kind of being able to see how the, I want to be able to when I go into my next head coaching job, being able to see what it should look like. And we go all the way down to kindergarten here. So we're they're not playing games, you know, five on five games, obviously, but we're teaching them, you know, the basic skills and it's fun for them. But we're our job and me and the, the guy that did it before and myself have always said our job is to make them fall in love with the game. Um, And, you know, that first grade girl that likes it, she plays again in second grade, third grade. Now she really likes it. She's been doing it for three years. She's pretty good. She gets to sixth grade. Now she's going into junior high. She's one of the best players. You know, that's, you know, obviously it's to make it fun and make them fall in love with the game, but also to provide our uh, high school girls and boys teams with some good players as they're coming through. Um, So I'm excited to start that. Um, yeah, give me some, give me some examples. I, I'm a big believer and I, I'm a K five PE teacher. Um, so I, I coach and, and I'm at a charter public school where I, I, I coach kids from kindergarten all the way up. So 
I have access to all the kids. So I real I'm a big believer in youth development. Give me some samples on what you are doing um, on how to develop these kids. And then you, you mentioned a good point. You're trying to create a love of the game. What are some things that you're trying to do skill development wise at such young ages? Uh, you know, the one thing that I think is that you can't, it's so hard to look at a kid. I'm six, seven. My son uh, plays point guard. So you don't know what that kid's going to grow up to be when they're in third grade. You know, they might just because he's the biggest kid in third grade doesn't mean he's going to be six, eight when he gets to high school. And I think I've seen a lot of kids that they've been stuck playing the post because they were the biggest kid in fourth and fifth grade. And then by the time they get to high school, they're the same size as everybody else, but they don't have any skill because all they've been able to do is just muscle their way around because nobody really worked with them. And I think, and I guess it's kind of the European model when you look at, at Dirk Nowitzki and Luka Doncic is those guys can do everything. They can play in the post. They could run the point. They can shoot. They can dribble. They can pass. And you're kind of, that's, I think, and the more and more game, the game moves to positionless basketball where you don't have a true one, two, three, four, or five, right. you know, not very many really high school and especially college. Do they run a low, have a guy in the low post that's just down there posting up all the time. Um, so we, uh, that's the biggest thing that we try to do is we don't have, obviously at the youth league split up our guards and our big guys and have them do mic and drills for two hours. Um, we, everybody does the ball handling. Everybody learns form shooting and how to shoot correctly. Um, everybody's doing the passing. Everybody's learning how to do a drop step by the time they get to third or fourth grade. And it's not great, but you're teaching them the footwork. So when they get sure. big enough and strong enough, they already have the footwork and now they have everything else to go with it. Um, but anyway, back to what we do. Um, we have our second and third graders doing, they do two ball dribbling. Um, and we don't do anything crazy, but I think kids are amazed by what they can do if they practice it a little bit. Um, my third grade daughters, because our varsity coach had her do it at camp, she can dribble with two balls now and go all kinds of stuff. So, um, and when you do that stuff, they like it and you make it fun. And a lot of it is you got to have the right guys doing it or, or girls doing it, making it fun for them. Um, so we do a ton of ball handling stuff. We work on passing with both hands. You know, the game, I think, is going away from, and even when I was in college 14 years ago, Coach Burson didn't want us throwing two-handed bounce passes or two-handed chest passes. It was off the dribble. Right. And the game's going more and more towards that is where I think that's becoming a fundamental skill is can you pick it up off the dribble and throw a backdoor bounce pass, or can you throw it to the guy coming off a down screen uh, and deliver it on time? Um, you don't have time to pick it up necessarily and throw a two-handed chest pass off of a jump stop. Those things all have to be on the move. So we're teaching them, starting to teach them those things, you know, can, and they just stand in a line back and forth across the lane from each other and take one dribble and throw it off one dribble to a stationary person. And then, and then we kind of evolve it to on the move. And then by the time they get to sixth grade, they're doing it for a layup. And now you've kind of taught them that skill going in. And now you got sixth or seventh graders that can throw bounce passes on the money off the dribble. Um, I, I love the three point line, but I also hate it. <laughs> And I'm not that old to be able to say that because I've never not played with it. Um, but so much, and the thing they don't understand is how hard Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, those guys work, how many of those shots they've taken. But my sons, they're all, you know, the first thing every, every kid does after they watch the Warriors play is they want to go out and shoot threes. And 
I think the worst thing, it's the worst thing for developing shooting form because they're, they just aren't strong enough to get it there. And then you develop bad habits. Your right foot's coming ahead. You're pushing with your left hand. You're flinging it. And it's so hard to break those habits if you let it go too long. So one thing that we try to do is teach the kids form shooting, you know, with one hand right under the basket. We're lucky enough that our baskets come down to seven feet. You know, our, our baskets that are our main baskets for the games, they, they lower down to seven feet. So we're able to do that so they don't have to throw it, which I think is huge. Um, we go, we go over, we want them setting, you know, if you're going to set a screen, we teach them the proper way to set a screen. And when they play third grade, you know, and, and it still looks like, I don't want to make it sound like it looks like we're running the Princeton out here, but you know, they're, they're still running around. It's still chaos, but they are developing those fundamental skills or what we believe are going to be fundamental skills by the time they get to high school. And it's not really any different than anybody else does. I don't think. Um, I've been around a few youth programs, but the bit, the thing that's the hardest is parents, and I'm, I do too, parents want to see their kids play games. And the, are you still there? Coach? Hi, Jason. Yeah. Yeah. I'll edit that out a little bit. So no, no problem at all. <laughs> okay. I didn't know what was the last thing you heard. Well, you were talking about what parents, how parents view the games. You know, and I, I think one of the things that, and the Jeremy that did it before me, the best thing he's done was parents want to see their kids play games and, you want to make the parents happy because you want them to keep bringing their kid back and keep getting better. But we, we do at the end, we let them play a little bit, but we're not just throwing them out there with no skills and no fundamental and no teaching and just letting them run around and throw the ball up. We teach them the fundamental skills first and then we let them play for a little bit, but the bulk, the vast majority of what we do at the youth level uh, in our district is fundamental skill development. And in fact, I've had a talk with our girls coach about we're going to start, just a fundamental skill session once a week throughout the entire year for, she said, I got kids coming to me that don't have skills. We don't have any skill development. Right. And you know, the, and a lot of it goes back to when we played, we're outside shooting in the driveway because there was no Xbox, PlayStation, cell phone. We're going to the park and the kids aren't doing that anymore. And that's just the, the way things have changed. But so I think we're going to start a skill session, you know, one night a week for anybody that wants to come up to, and just work on skills. Yeah. And tell me about, there's a great podcast. You probably know the guy, Mike cleansing in Cleveland. Um, uh, the, uh, hoops head. Yeah. Yeah. I know of him. Yeah. Yeah. He runs, uh, he's a trainer. That's what he does. And he's also a teacher. So, uh, he's got a great podcast. So I highly recommend you go on to that. He's, he's really good. <clears throat> but, um, he talks a lot about every podcast, it's very similar to what you're saying. Um, kids are not going to the park like we all did and just working on the game. I had a, I had a goal in front of my yard. That's how I got better. I didn't have a trainer. Um, the, the right. change then. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, we go to, we were having, my son's playing in a three on three tournament this weekend. Um, 
And so one of the other dads got him together and like, you know, we kind of want to look like we're, we know what we're doing. So we're talking to him about, you know, what the, and he's played in a couple, but you know, getting open and what you got the rules and stuff. So we just got them together and then we let them play a little bit. And, uh, they're trying to decide whose ball it is. And I'm like, <laughs> shoot for it. What do you mean? Whose ball is it? Shoot it. If you make it, it's your ball. And they're looking at me and I'm going, Oh my gosh, you know? So, um, and it's just like, I can't believe you don't know that that's a basic basketball skill. Uh, but yeah, it is. It's changed so much. And I think, I think that one thing that I hear a ton of, and I'm sure you do too, is people just complaining about it. Right. Um, and I once worked, I worked for a guy and we went in the coach's office and, I, and one of our other assistants said, Oh my gosh, we're not, we're bad. And the head coach said, you know what? You've been saying that for three weeks. What are we going to do about it? Us sitting in here complaining is not going to change the fact that we're not any good. We need to do something about it. And I think that's kind of what we're doing with, um, what I'm trying to do, and I think a lot of people are with this issue, <laughs> as a basketball coach, you kind of call it a crisis, I guess, of kids aren't doing that. Okay, well, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to get them to get better? We know that. We know they're not going out in their driveway for the most part and shooting. Well, they're not get, calling all their friends and meeting down at the park and playing. How are we going to continue to get them better? We need to do something about it. Let's find a solution instead of just complaining about it because that's not going to help you or them. So, um, you know, we do, like I said, we're going to have these skill sessions. We have open gym, um, for our youth, our youth kids all the way up to sixth grade where we've taught them, they shoot for teams and then they play. And if there's a foul, they call the foul and they work it out. Unless it turns into a knockdown drag out, we just stay out of it. We don't coach them. And what we've seen is that when somebody's not, this kid doesn't play defense, they stop picking them on his team. And these are fourth, fifth, and sixth, third, fourth, fifth, sixth graders. You know, they figure it out. And I think that we, and I, somebody I've seen it multiple times is basketball is the most overcoached, undertaught sport in the world. Right. Is we don't let them figure it out enough. And I think back to when I played, if we went and played, if you wanted to get picked, you better, if you couldn't score, you better pass it. You better go rebound. You better set screens for the best player. And everybody wants to shoot it now, which is natural, I think. But I think we don't do enough of just letting kids, even up at the high school level, letting them figure it out. Because we used to just roll the ball, defense calls fouls. And then if it wasn't, a, we're fighting over if it's a foul or not. And then you figure it out eventually. So um, we're trying to get back. Letting kids, and I, it teaches them how to communicate. It teaches them how to problem solve. It teaches them how to, you know, be a, be a good teammate. Uh, when you go into your job. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think it's more of a societal thing. I had a guy, Bob Bigelow, who's one of the foremost youth uh, basketball guys out there. And he talks about <clears throat> there's not enough free play going on. Kids are not getting out and just playing. Everything's organized. And we're, we're, we're really they're losing that ability, like you said, Jason, the ability to figure things out on their own yeah and and we've seen it and it it's hard it's hard not to sit there because i'm a coach i'm a parent two of my kids are it's hard not to be like go back door, you know to 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 coach them but if you can bite your tongue for a little bit you'll see them figure it out they're not you know and kids are everybody says kids are i don't know if that's true if kids are different kids are different the society's different their environment's a little different 
they're exposed to different things than we were, but kids are kids. I mean, human nature, they're going to figure it out. If you, if you, if we can all bite our tongues long enough to let them, um, they'll figure it out. And I think that's what we're trying to do. And, you know, and then you get kids want to play. Nobody wants to sit on the bench and it goes, you know, if you, if you lose, if you lost when we were young, you sat until somebody picked you up. So you better win if you want to play. Um, and those types of things are just the things that we're trying to teach them in our area because we feel the same way that it's just gotten away from that so much. It's hard to – and those skills are going to translate when they get into practice at the high school level or games at the high school level or college level, all that stuff. Yeah, and I think it's coaches like yourself and parents like yourself taking the initiative on allowing your kids to do that. Um, and even – I just think everything's done in small communities – I think if your community at Philo can do that, you never know that can transfer over to another community. And all of a sudden, boom, people are realizing, Hey, I can let my kid, maybe I feel safe allowing my kid to, well, I'll take them to the park, but I'll let them play. I won't coach them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's, everybody has good intentions, you know, but it's, it's, it is, it's hard to, it's hard to do. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Hey, tell me about let's talk let's talk practices because uh, I know you're a busy guy. I know you're in the process of moving and everything right now. Hey, tell me about practices. Give me your philosophy on practices, and I always enjoy the discussion on what how coaches formulate their practices. Um, the biggest thing that I think every time I develop a practice plan, and I and there's is my high school coach used to always say practice should be harder than the game. The game should be easy. The games are your reward. So that doesn't mean that we're running a hundred suicides every game, but, or every practice, but um, pra- my practices are intense and very fast paced. Now, when we need to stop and teach, we take the time to stop and teach because that's what we're trying to do. Um, but it's fast paced. We practice, I practice for an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes. And you can do that. I think if you can cut out all the, Let's take five minutes to get a drink. Right. Get a drink when you're out. We have water all over the gym. You know, when you come out of practice and somebody subs into you, go right over there and get a drink. Take a take a minute and be ready to go back in. We're here to practice. We're here to get better. We're not going to – we don't need to be here for two or two and a half hours. And I think it's so much um, – I watched an old – it was a, had to have been a VHS tape that got translated to YouTube um, <laughs> of Bob Knight running practice and then he would stop in little segments and explain it and he spent no more than five minutes on any individual drill and no more than 10 minutes on any team drill now that's really hard to do at the high school level but that's i try to use that as a guideline if we're going to shoot let's get as many shots up as we can in five minutes that means i'm not walking after the ball if it bounces over to the bleachers i'm running after the ball and getting it back to you so you can get another shot up and i think you can just change practice so much and kids like that they don't want to feel like it, they've been there for three hours. They want to look up and like, oh, it's 4.30. All right, let's go. We're done. And they're like, holy cow, it's only 4.30? Because they feel like they've done so much. And it's, right. hard to, it's hard to work on your press breaker. And he said, now you can come back. You can work on it for 10 minutes in three different sections throughout practice. But you're not going to get a kid to pay attention for 30 straight minutes on the same topic. And I think that's even more so today um, as we learn more and more about, you know, kids' attention spans and all the distractions that they have is you got to make them want to be there. I've been in practices that are two or two and a half hours and you've lost them by that point. 
at the high school level, you know, um, I, I believe uh, that I'm a firm believer in let's get in, let's get after it for an hour and a half or an hour and 45 minutes and then let's get out. Um, so it's very fast paced. When I design a practice plan, I got it from one of the guys from PGC and then I kind of tweaked it to my own. Um, I have our times down the side. It's all on my computer. Thank God for technology. But um, <laughs> now I always, 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 always had a practice plan. I coached my, th- my son's fourth grade AAU team. Yeah. And we, I had a practice plan. But I've been, to, I've been to varsity high school practices where they don't have a practice plan. And it blows my mind. How can you walk? I think, how do some of these guys get jobs? <laughs> yeah, it's I'm like, uh, what are you, what's yeah. your, what are you planning to do for the next hour and a half or two hours? Right. Um, so I always have a practice plan. Um, <laughs> if I'm working, I do, I do a lot of stuff now with some individual skill work with a couple, a couple kids. Sure. Um, and I have it written down what we're going to do. I don't stand there and go, well, now let's do this drill. Let's work on that. It's already planned out because, um, preparation i think is is a huge key but it but my practice plan has all the times down the side and then i have the name of whatever we're going to do if we're going to work on uh, our diamond press if we're going to do shooting if we're going to do whatever that thing is is it in the next column um and then what i really like is i then have sections for every single coach for every single drill so it's on a spreadsheet so if you can envision like you know we do uh if we're doing shell drill at three o'clock three o'clock shell drill who's leader and then i have the coach that's leading it it might be me but if i have a coach that's really really good at teaching shell drill i don't need to lead that i could but he's really good at it and if i let him do it i give him ownership of it and now he's excited and he comes into practice prepared and ready to lead shell drill um, I hate going to practice and watching the head coach talk and the assistants are standing on the sideline with their arms crossed talking to each other. Sure. Um, you're stealing money from your district at that point because you're not coaching. Um, so we have, you know, the, who's leading the drill. So, you know, coach Renner's leading the shell drill. What is coach Gibson doing? He's providing positive feedback. So he's just walking around the drill Hey, great job. Way to get to the midline. Good closeout. Good closeout. And that's all that positive energy that those kids. And when you hear that and somebody's on you just bust, and you hear somebody in the background clapping and telling you good job, you just want to go harder. It just makes the kids go harder and everything is game speed. So I'm walking around. Maybe that coach is leading it. Coach Gibson is, is providing positive energy and, you know, or reinforcement. And I'm walking around to the offense, talking to them as they make sure you're catching triple threat. I want to see you catch a triple threat and jab step, give them a pump fake and two, you know, just kind of making sure that everybody's involved and you're just coaching it. And I think you lose so much in practice with one guy leading it and the other three taking a break. Um, and, and the kids love that. No kid wants to listen to the same coach talk for two hours and nobody else does anything. So, um, you know, I'm big. On, and so we have, it's every coach has a job for every single segment of our practice. So one coach, their job might be, you need to go fill it. It might be mine. You know, Coach Gibson's leading our, you know, press offense, uh, 5 one I'm going to go fill up the water, make sure we're good to go while everybody comes out. And it's just, I think, 
if you get the right people and it's hard to do, especially at the high school level. Cause a lot of times we're not able to just bring in whoever we want. Cause there's teaching jobs and it's a different animal at the high school level. But I think every, you got to have guys that are involved and guys that are intense and another John Gordon thing. You're either an energy giver or an energy vampire. You're either providing energy to the practice and kids are want to kids want to be around you or you're sucking energy out of it. Even if you're just standing on the sideline with your arms crossed, I mean, you, you said it earlier, if I walk in your gym, I should be able to tell exactly what your culture is. You walk into the gym and two of my assistants are standing on the sideline with their arms crossed, not talking to kids, not helping, not, what do you do? What's your culture? What do you feel like the culture is at that point? You know, yeah, and, and if I don't, and if I don't have, you know, that drill maybe only requires three out of my four coaches, that other coach is taking one of the guys off to the side and, and maybe that kid struggles with his form. Hey, grab Johnny and go over on the side basket and he's form shooting for the next 10 minutes. So, and I hate, I hate having kids stand around. So if we have a drill that only takes five, I don't have, we don't have 10 kids standing on the sideline watching unless we're going over scouting report or something like that. But everybody's involved. Everybody's doing something for that hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes. All the coaches are involved and that's how you develop relationships too. You know, when that, when you, you're challenged that kid to fight through whatever he's fighting through, you got to get a stop here. I need you to get a stop. And that's the assistant coach. That's how you build a relationship. And then that kid does get a stop and you make a big deal, give him a high five or a chest bump. Now that kid wants to go to battle for you. Um, and again, those are all life skills that we're teaching. When you become a, when that kid becomes a boss, he's going to think back to who he has had those experiences with and hopefully learn from that and provide that for his employees. Yeah, I love that. Um, Coach, can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay, great. Uh, I love those ideas. I, I, I love I – really, I'm a believer in everything you said. Um, I tell you what we call well, – I think I love what you're doing with your coaches. We call that reminders. Uh, yeah. And what we do is we have – you know, let's say a kid is not blocking out. Yeah, we could, we could yell and scream at her and so forth, but you, you're not going to get anything done with that. We have the kid – go over with my assistant coach and gives gives some instruction. And we actually ask her, show me a blockout. And if not, then we go over a quick technique reminder. And then we have yeah. them do a punishment like push-ups or something like that. Then they're back in. It, it's short, it's quick, and boom, they're back in. We call those reminders. And uh, same thing that you're doing. I don't think a coach is doing enough of that. I love it. I'm, I'm writing that. I wrote that down as you said that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's, and you said, we ask them, do you know what it is? And I think a lot of times we assume that kids do know. And a lot of times somehow that has gotten, they've gotten through and never really been showed how to block out. Yes. Yeah, it's it's usually been showed how to close out. Yeah. It's our fault. Yeah. Which is, and, and it works and going back to the youth, that's what we're trying to, you got to be able to know what a block out and a close out and getting to the midline and all those things are before you ever get here. And so, you know, and I, and I, yeah, like you said, there's that one coach might be talking about this and one he's standing, get to the midline. He's just watching the midline to make sure everybody gets there, but everybody has a job. And like you said, your coach is standing out to the side, giving reminders and providing instruction. Um, and I think that's where so much time is lost is you could be doing all this stuff all at the same time and then incorporating it. Now that takes a lot of preparation, a lot of planning. It takes some really good coaches that are bought in for the betterment of the program. 
Right. Um, but it's, it's definitely, and it takes work. It's, you can't just draw that up or sit down 10 minutes before school's out and write up your practice plan. You gotta, you're going to have to plan for that. Yeah, and I think the biggest waste of time in practice is we don't have water breaks. And I know everybody listening is going to go, wait a second now. No, no, no water breaks planned. What we do is if you want water, you go get it, you come back. We don't waste yeah. any time. Uh, and I got that from a guy named Steve Kloss, coach out of Wisconsin. Um, and uh, there's no water breaks. Boy, his practice, you just keep moving. And if you want to, and boom, they come right back. There's no wasted time because everybody else. And what happens is there's no wasted water break. I think we waste probably five, 10, 15 minutes of practice on five minute water breaks. You got to be kidding. Me. Oh yeah. And, and nobody gets it. You're exactly right. I do the same. I do the same thing you do is, Hey, our if we have a jug or if we have water bottles, they're over there. When you get subbed out, go grab it. Don't stand over there where you can't hear what's going on bring your water bottle or your cup of water and come stand on the sideline while you're taking your break and listen to what's going on when you're done, take it back and get back in the game. Let's go. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, you talk about three water breaks throughout a practice at five minutes each. There's 15 minutes. So I go an hour, I go yeah. an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes. And some coaches go, how can you do that? An hour and a half or hour and 45 minutes. We go two hours. We go two hours and 15 minutes. Well, there's 15 minutes right there. I've seen a lot. I've been to practices where coaches will stand around while the kids are shooting foul shots and they're finishing up and the coaches keep talking for five more minutes. There's five more minutes you could have had wasted. And my kids know we have um, my very first year. I painted a red line across. Now you came out of our locker room right onto the floor. We paint, I painted a red line and I said, when you cross that red line, it's go time. So when you come out here, practice starts. You're doing your pre-practice. You know, we've told you what your pre-practice should be. I have an individualized pre-practice for every single kid. Now, I might have four kids doing the same thing, but I've grouped them before because, you know, while we're getting things together, while the water's being brought out, while we're setting up the clock, when they're on the floor, they're working. They're not heaving up half-court shots or trying to dunk it or whatever they're doing. So when they cross that threshold, it's go time. And, you know, practice starts at three. Some coaches... They don't start till 10 after there's 10 more minutes. There's your half hour that you've just missed between not starting till three ten. your 15 minutes in water break, your five minutes of talking after they're shooting free throws. Um, now we, I, I I'm there. We're there longer than an hour and a half because the kids go in the locker room. You know, you might call a kid into the office and talk to them. You joke around with them once practice is over, you know, and you're talking to them in the locker room or in the hallway or those types of things. But practice is practice practice isn't social time for us yeah and coach we could actually write a book on wasted practice time uh, which i think is really I, i'll be honest with you i think that's the biggest issue with practices and i I'll, I'll add another wasted time thing is coaches coaches talking too much um and what we do with us is we do first of all we call timeouts in our practices so I'm allowed five timeouts in my just like a regular game. So and okay. we, we cannot go over that time period. So if it's a 30, I literally go 30 just like a regular game or I go a full. And if we go over the timeout, then um, I give, you know, then then the coaches, we get we get in trouble for it. So whether we do push-ups or run or whatever. So what that does, it teaches the coaches how to be sharp in practice because practice is going to be like the game right 
Yeah. Oh, I like that. I, I wrote that down too. I like, and that's, I think you're, you're right. It's, we talk, some kind of, we talk too much. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I know I do. <laughs> and, and, and I, I've really started to do, ask the kid, do you understand? I, I want you to do this, go to the back screen, then a down screen. Does that make sense? Yes. And I tell the kid, if it doesn't make sense, don't tell me yes. If it doesn't make sense, you have to tell me it doesn't make sense. Cause when we run it the next play and you screw it up again, you should have told me a long time ago that it didn't make sense. So, and I think that's so much of it is you can eliminate a lot of that by just finding out, like you said, does that girl know what a block out is? You might be talking way over their head and they haven't come back to that individual skill. So I, and I think being able to communicate with your players and you can't just talk at them, you have to communicate with them. You know? Yeah, I love that. And uh, Mike Dunlap, I interviewed, he said the best thing you can do as a coach is to ask questions. And we don't do enough of that. Right. Right, Jason. Oh, I agree. I agree. And, um, and there's times I, I'll ask my kids in a timeout or in practice, they'll throw a pass. And I'm like, what did you see right there? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, no, you might've seen something. What, what were you thinking when you threw that? I want to know. He's like, well, I thought he was going to, that guy jumped the screen and I thought he was going back door. I'm like, that's a good idea. This time take two steps and go back. And so you, if you ask questions, you find out that these, that kids, might have seen something that really can help you. I think that one of the worst things we can do as coaches at any level is to assume that we know everything and the kids don't know anything. Um, So I'm always asking, I call a timeout and it it might be, and I've had assistants be like, what are you doing? I'm asking the kids, what do you see out there? What are they doing? What do you, what do you think? Okay. We got, we need a bucket right here. What do you guys want to run? And they're the ones playing the game. Now I don't do that every single timeout, but you know, they're the ones out there that are seeing things. It looks a lot different out on the floor than it does on the sideline. And, you know, I don't, if they say, let's run the alley-oop play, you know, I don't take that all the, all the time into consideration, <laughs> but like, you know, I've had kids say, he tells me on every screen, let's run a curl. Okay, let's do it. You know, and that's how you get kids to think the game. If you, if they, if they think that you trust them to make those decisions, they're, you know, it all comes back to them being bought in. And, and I think that's how you create the culture. If I don't ever give them any input, then that culture is never going to be created. Yeah, and particularly for the kids these days, huh? You you got they. And I heard the day saying, "Kids, this new generation, you they they want to be involved, right? So you got to include them. It's all about inclusion and not just being dictated by the coach." Yeah, I mean, and it goes to kids at everything. You're a teacher too you're a phys ed teacher. So that kind of naturally involves everybody, but I'm an English teacher. Those that it doesn't work anymore for me to stand up there and talk to them for 45 minutes. I'll explain it and then we'll do something and then we'll review it. And then we'll, we'll do some kind of assessment over it. Yeah. They got to be involved and they need, they need validation, you know, to be able to do it and see that they can do it. And, um, I think giving kids input is one of the biggest ways you can build your culture. As long as you're, as long as it's kind of structured and you're guiding, you know, you're guiding it. Yeah. But ask them what, ask them what they see. What do you think? How's he playing you? Oh, he's trails me on every screen. Okay. Let's curl it. Or he's going under every screen. Let's run a flare, you know, and, and just giving them input. And now they take ownership of it and now they, it's a lot more important to them. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, Coach, tell me about the last phase of this question on that, because I know you got to go pretty soon. The last phase of this question is um, 
tell me what you think. I believe that you skill, that you teach the skill or the concept, then you test, then you skill, then you test. And what I mean by that is I think sometimes we over drill as coaches. So if let's say that um, sometimes I test first, so sometimes I might come right out the beginning of practice and throw them into a five on five and find out where they are mentally. And then I'll go right into a skill. Then I'll test them again because if I think it prevents slippage of skills, what, what, what's your opinion on that? So you might t- test them on the five on five and then teach them a skill in the same route about five on five and then test them again. Yes. And I- I'm telling you uh, what I find out at the beginning of practice and I know other coaches are going to go, okay, I, that makes sense. But um, at the beginning of practice, a lot of times kids are just trying to get into a groove and the warm, we do a warm up and all that, but I want to test them at the beginning because I want my teams coming out in that first quarter ready to rock and roll. So I might throw them into a situation. Okay, we're we're down by we have a baseline out of bounds play against zone, whatever. Run it, and I want to see how they're thinking. All right, or in whatever, working on an offensive set, whatever. Not for very long, and then I go into okay, okay. Now we're going to work on. Are you there? Coach. Hey, Coach. Do you hear me? Yeah. Hey, Jason. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that in, that definitely will keep them sharp. And I think after you do it a couple of times, those kids come out, and when they walk through the door onto the gym floor, they're ready because they're like, well, what if he does this today? Yeah. Yeah. What if he puts us in a situation right away? Um, so I, I love that. I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I want to hear your opinion on that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I was going to see. And then you get a quick, okay, we need to and, – and, yeah, practice is always planned out, but, oh, man, we better build in 10 more minutes to go over this. And you write that on there. And it just gives you a quick kind of formative assessment of what you're looking at and what they know and where they're at mentally. And, you know, especially if you got a game the next day, you want to find out as soon as possible if they're on the right page with some of the stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, and I, I tell you just the opposite – is when I go, I go, let's say I'm doing my, my, um, my skill development at the beginning, which I usually do. Um, you know, we work on, you know, footwork, you know, all the dribbling, the passing, the shooting, all that. And then when you get to the game, it's not applying to the game. So what I'm kind of adjusting to is, is don't do drill, 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 maybe do drill, teach a drill, um, game drill game drill game so you can see and prevent that slippage so they understand it better i don't even know if that makes sense but that that's what i'm really kind of changing to yeah and you know and i think that's good you get to see where you know if they're understanding and it keeps them sharp too yeah yeah you you know as well as i do when you put you go from drill to drill to drill to drill to drill you lose the intensity a little bit but when things get mixed up okay it's a little change of pace we're going to do something different okay let's do something different then you come back to it or you do another drill. So I think mixing it up and providing some variety throughout practice is a great thing. And yeah, it does. It keeps you right. Absolutely right. I believe it keeps them sharp, prevents that slippage. Uh, and I think one of the biggest things we fight in practice is mental engagement. Right. Um, right. And your, 
you're preventing all that by doing those things, I believe. Yeah, and tell me, tell me how you keep your team mentally sharp in practice. Let's say they come out and they're just – I mean, you know how we are sometimes. You know, the, the, the team is kind of sluggish. They come out and there's no energy. How do you handle that? What do you do? I mean, the first thing I'll do is I'll say, you know, address them as a group kind of real quick. Hey, we need to pick it up. This is not, this is not how we practice. This isn't what we do. Uh, and I look to my seniors a lot because they've been there. They know what we try to do. They know how practice works. They've been through it. Hey, you guys better get them going. Let's go. And then sometimes that works. And if it doesn't, then I'll stop it again. You know, and I don't let it go. I hate coaches. That, and I've been an assistant where they walk over and be like, boy, this is a crappy practice. Well, why are you letting it still go on? You got to fix it. Like, do try to fix it. You're just complaining about it. Um, so I'll, and then I'll say, uh, if that doesn't work right away, uh, call them into a huddle and make sure everybody's engaged and looking at me and, and explain to them why it needs to be, why this is important because kids, you know, you don't know what just happened. They just failed a test. Their girlfriend just broke up with them, blah, blah, blah. There could be millions of things that happened right before they walked in there. So I think we always got to bring them back and re-engage them and I, and say, okay, look, and I look around the circle and. We need to go. We, we're playing, you know, the first place team in the league tomorrow. They got this kid that can do this. We need to be fully engaged right now. So my seniors, I'm counting on you to make sure that everybody's up there. And then I might do a drill that you have to be engaged in in order to a high energy drill just to kind of get the blood pumping and clear their mind and, you know, just to get them engaged. And it's something that I'm not yelling and screaming, but something that's fun, something that's high intensity, something that forces them to be intense and engaged and then come back to whatever we're teaching once I have them engaged. Yeah, and I love that. And do, do you stay if – some if a drill's not working, do you stay on it or do you just go to – you go according to your plan? Uh, I mean, I, I try to for the most part, but I really think – and, again, it goes back to wasting time. And, you know, there's drills that you – I've seen drills or thought of something. I'm like, this is going to be really good. And you go to practice and you're like, oh, man, that's not, that's not good. That's not what I thought. You're just wasting – if you've got it for 10 minutes and you're three minutes into it, you know it's not any good. Why are you doing it for seven more minutes? Scrap <laughs> right. it. Scrap it and go to the next thing. Right. And if you end practice five minutes early, that's okay. Or spend an extra five minutes getting shots up or do an extra five minutes worth of free throws if you need to fill that hour and a half or hour and 45. But I think that's the other thing is coaches will put in a drill and, okay, let's do this drill. And then they do it and there's no feedback and it's not working and they're just not mentally into it. Um, you're just wasting time and you're wasting their energy and you're wasting their engagement. Um, so I think you're just, if it's not working, move on to the next thing. And right. if you've got two or three things in a row that aren't working, you either need to find some new drills or you need to have a quick meeting with your team and figure out what's going on. Yeah, and what I found with myself is a lot of times it's not the team, it's me. I haven't taught it properly. Uh, I always put the responsibility on me. If my team's not playing well, it's my fault. It's a, it's, I did not teach it well enough. What do you think about that? I, I agree 100%. You kind of took the words out of my mouth. I love is if they – you haven't – I got to think how this – you haven't taught it until they've learned it. Hmm. You know, so uh, telling is not teaching and yelling is not coaching. So if I tell you to do something and you don't do it, and then I yell at you about it and you still don't do it, we still haven't gotten anywhere, you know? And I feel like, yeah, if they're not doing it, there's either one or one of two things. They're either giving me the middle finger and saying, I'm not doing it. 
or they don't know how to do it or they don't understand how you want them to do it. So if they don't understand it, then you haven't taught it well, then we haven't taught it well enough. And so that's, I kind of tried to do that. I'm like, why, why do you, instead of yelling at a kid, why do you keep coming off that screen that way? You know, that's not right. I asked them, why are you, you know, why are you doing that? I don't know what you mean by coming off shoulder to shoulder. Okay. Then I teach it to them. You know, uh, yeah, the, I, I'm a, I think you're exactly right. I believe you're exactly right. You haven't, we haven't taught it until they've learned it. Yeah. That, that's, think, a, that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I totally agree. And if they don't know what they're doing, you're right. It's probably our fault. And it might be theirs that they weren't paying attention when I explained it. <laughs> but that's to me, that still comes back to us. If they're not paying attention, you need to figure out a way to teach it better so that they do pay attention. Or if it's an even bigger issue than you need to address. But if they oh, you weren't you, if you were paying attention, well, why wasn't he paying attention? You go into a classroom and there's kids not paying attention. That's because the teacher's not engaging. I think we separate those things so much that it's it's kind of the same thing. If I'm not paying attention, if I was in high school not paying any attention in a class, it was because the subject matter might be boring, but I took chemistry from a guy that was the best teacher I ever had. And I hated chemistry, but he was amazing, so I wanted to learn it. So you got to be, you have to teach it in a way that they want to learn it. And if you can't do that, then you need to do some work as a coach. Yeah, and I think we're we're ultimately ma- we're trying to be master teachers, right? I, and I don't know if enough coaches are really trying to master their teaching methodology. Now they they might know a lot, but are they good teachers? And that's a whole other podcast, right there, man. Uh, right. I've seen a lot of guys that were pretty smart basketball that could, uh, were not great teachers, and that's why their team maybe underachieved a little bit. What's your opinion on that? Yeah. And I mean, I think, and you've seen, and we all have some of the most knowledgeable X and O guys in the, in the game that just never really have success. And a lot of it is they're not great leaders or they're not great teachers or, and I just, I think you're absolutely right. If they're not learning it, it comes back to us. You know, um, I think very rarely does a kid come to play basketball that doesn't want to play basketball, especially these days. If they don't want to play, they don't play. So if they're there, I assume that they want to be there and it's my job to, to teach them the skills and things in a way that, that they want to learn it. And I think as we, as, as I've been around it more and more, you learn that so much of it is not necessarily X's and O's out of bounds, plays, offenses, defensive uh, strategies, as it is communication, leadership, teaching, you know, some of those things that are the most important. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Hey, Jason, last question here. If you were in charge of the Ohio Basketball Coaches Association, what is the one thing you would implement first in your tenure? If you were ahead of it, what is one thing that you would change in the game in Ohio? Um, now, I don't know any of the fiscal responsibilities that this entails, um, but I would put in a shot clock. Nice. 30, 30 second, 35. I think 30 is good. 30 to 30. I mean, I think 30 is good. Um, I watched some of the EYBL games um, and 30 is a pretty long. Now I know AAU is a different ball game than high school basketball, um, but it just changes the game. I think it makes, it forces you to be more skilled. Um, it forces coaches to teach players to be more skilled, which ultimately is what we want. Um, it forces players and coaches, I believe, to teach, to think the game. Um, 
I just think we're the only, I don't want to say this 100%, we're one of the only developed countries in the world that don't have a shot clock as a standardized proponent of the game. Um, college, boys and girls have it. NBA has it. I know that's um, many, a lot of states, a lot of states in the United States have it. Some leagues within states and individual parts have it. Um, it's the international international countries have it you know there's some countries that and a lot of the things i hear is it um or that i've read is how now you got to buy the clock you got to put it in you got to pay somebody to run it right right i know i i don't know enough about that to speak intelligently about what all that would cost um but if you're just talking about one of the things that i would push that would be that'd probably be number one number two would be in my opinion some sort of certification process i think what usa basketball is doing with um their gold licensing and those kinds of things is really really good um you got to go through some training you can't like i know you can just hire anybody to be your assistant coach as long as they're approved by the board by our board of education in most in most places um i just think that it's so much of and i think you learn how to teach those things USA basketball does a tremendous job with their coach certification process. You learn how to teach the game. You learn how to communicate with kids um, and all those things. And I think you read so much, so many terrible stories in the paper on the news about coaches that have been around kids that shouldn't have been around kids. Um, Coaches doing things they shouldn't around kids or with kids or whatever. Um, I just think we need to kind of, and I don't know, that's not just in Ohio. Um, I think we just need to kind of vet those things a little bit more. Hey coaches, this is Matt Smith, the president and founder of United Basketball Clinics. want to let you know about two great clinics we have going on later this year. The Hoosier Gym Coaches Clinic, August 23rd and 24th at the legendary Hoosier Gym in Knightstown, Indiana. Vance Wahlberg, Dave Love, Doug Porter, Mike Neighbors, John Kaufman, and more will be speaking that weekend. All sessions are on the floor with live demonstration. Also, we have the Peach State Coaches Clinic in Atlanta, Alpharetta, Georgia, September 28th. Hernando Planell, Charmin White, Gene Durden, Alan Whitehart, the staff from Georgia State University, and more. Please visit unitedbasketballclinics.com to register. Early bird pricing ends August 1st. That's unitedbasketballclinics.com. Same staff discount supply. I look forward to seeing you there. Jason, man. Hey, um, hey, thanks again for sharing, man. I really appreciate it. Um, uh, you gave us some great information and so forth. How can – the coaches get a hold of you. I know you're big on social media. Give us some information and so forth, how the coaches can get a hold of you. Uh, my Twitter is the thing that I use the most. Uh, is just at Coach Jason Trout. Okay. All right. Oh, um, yeah. And then, uh, I mean, I love talking to coaches and hearing from coaches and hearing ideas. Uh, my email's Jason, J-A-S-O-N-D, as in dog, Trout at icloud.com j-a-s-o-n-d-t-r-o-u-t at icloud.com 
All right. And I, Hey, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy on a new, new home, um, getting yeah. all that settled in and so forth. Um, uh, you know, if you got some extra time, I would love to see you at our clinic here in Georgia. Matter of fact, I can find you a place to stay and so forth. Um, and then I wish I knew about your clinic. I would have come down and visited my friend, Randy Montgomery and kind of joined you guys out there. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that. I'm going to look into it, uh, to coming down to yours. Um, but we're doing ours. I'm going to do it again next year. Um, but then I wanted to ask you a couple questions if that's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. Two, two questions that are three questions, I guess, really that I try to ask everybody that I, that I try to learn from and talk to is who are your, who are your people that you're studying, right? Who are you, who are your go-to guys that you're really reading about, you know, who are you studying? Who's your follow on Twitter that you just can't get enough of that you're really into right now? Well, I tell you, the guy that I kind of my, – my ultimate mentor is a guy by the name of Coach Gene Durden out of Buford High School in here in Georgia. Uh, unbelievable coach. Matter of fact, he's going to be at the clinic. And um, I basically model my program after him. I think he's one of the best coaches in the country. I, I would love to have you come and take a look at him and listen to him. But uh, Gene's – and he, he's, uh, he does a lot on Twitter – uh, but he's got a great program and he builds the right program over there at Buford. He's number one. Um, my other guy is uh, Mike Dunlap. Okay. And Mike is great. I mean, matter of fact, he's, he spoke forever to me on the podcast. I have all his old videos and everything. And uh, what I, what I love particularly about those two, is they're about doing it the right way. They're about culture, the the just doing things the right way. There's no shortcuts. And they really have a conviction on doing things the right way. Certain people have ideas. They have convictions. That's a big difference. And those two are my two favorite. I think that's so important uh, when you talk about the convictions and doing things the right way is – um, you know, what happens in the dark always comes to light. If you take a shortcut, it's going to be exposed at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then my second, uh, I guess my, one of my last two, how, how do you motivate kids? So I, I talked to my high school coach. I said, you know, when I first went to watch practice, I'm like, man, I'm going to sit down with this guy. I really don't, I want to learn from him. I don't know what to ask him. And he said, that's a question you should ask everybody. Cause you're going to learn so much about, how different people approach you motivate kids, your players. And not just, I mean, I know running, that's kind of, that's a short term motivation. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if that works at all anymore. Um, so how do you kind of get through to them and motivate them to, to kind of reach their full potential? Yeah. I don't motivate uh, through fear and that's what the punishment model does. Um, you and know, I, we, you know and I didn't mean to cut, that doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't. And you know, I don't know what it just doesn't work. I don't think I'm a full well, believer with you there. Well, at times it does. There's certain times I feel like if there's lack of effort, you have control over that. We're going to run um, mm. or we're gonna some type of, uh, of, of punishment, but not all the time because I don't want my program to be fear-based. Um, right. Program that I run in the system that I run is fearless and freedom. My kids like play, that. they play with absolute no fear. I mean, we, um, and you, you would laugh to see how our girls play. I mean, we're, we're trying to get 
80 to 90 shots per game. We're pressing, we play, and we don't have a lot of great athletes. Um, and we want our kids to be aggressive. So we play fear. So that's number one, because they enjoy that. They always tell, I always ask them, what do you think about our system? Man, it's, we, we just, we feel like it's, it's a lot of freedom. We enjoy it. So that, if they say that, Jason, I'm inspiring them. I'm inspiring yeah. them to do better. Um, but I try to build relationships with them. I, as I get older, I think that's more important that um, I need to connect with them every day. High five. Hey, how's your day going? Because I think I'm also a lot older than my players. So I got to really work on connecting with them and trying to get to know them so they feel comfortable around me. And I coach girls now. So you got to make sure that, you know, you connect with, right. with the girls and you got to get to know them because if they know, you know, if they know you care about them, they're going to play for you. If not, they are not going to play for you big time. Cause you know how coaching girls is. Um, so those are my key things. It's such an old adage that they don't know care how much you know until they know how much you care. But it's so true. It's an old. I always say those things are so old, such old adages and so cliche because they they're true. They're true. I mean, big time. Um, and I felt like, and I'll, I'll be the first one to to tell you that I I've gotten a lot better as I've gotten older. Yeah. Um. So a little more wiser. Um, and I don't, I don't do as much talking. I give my, I give my players a lot of ownership. We have leadership teams, leadership committees. I actually do a lot less than I've ever have before. I give my players a lot of ownership on running the team. That's awesome. And they're going to take, and they're going to take more pride in it. And, you know, real quick, I wanted to share a quick story about, uh, you were talking about relationships mm -hmm. and I think so much of it is you don't know how good of a job you do until five or 10 years down the road. Um, as far as developing relationships and building young men or women. Um, so I had a, a player uh, played for me for four out of my five years um, that I was at my, at my past uh, coaching stop. Um, so, and his, he ended up, his girlfriend in high school was a girl that I had in class that came on to be our statistician. So they started dating in high school. Um, they get engaged. He texts me, coach, I just proposed we're engaged. I'm like, that's fantastic. Um, he's very, very successful. He's an auctioneer now in the area. Um, so pretty soon I get a wedding invitation from one of my former players. Uh, and I would have been anybody, but this one just happened to be, he's marrying the girl that I uh, was our statistician uh, for a couple of years. Um, so I go to the wedding. Uh, my wife and I go to the wedding and there's no kit, like none of his, it was a very small family wedding, you know, close family and close friends. There were no other quote unquote kids, kids his age. There a few, you know, his best friends, but it was very small ceremony. And I felt honored, literally, truly honored to be one of the people that he invited. When you're making out that list of people that you want to come see the biggest day of your life and you get thought of to be on that list really kind of it's kind of takes your breath away for a second because then you start to kind of realize the impact that you may have had on that young man, young person. Um, and when we walked in the door, his dad uh, was stand just happened to be standing there and he looked at me and started crying and my, me and my wife because, and it was just, I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, and you're, 
they were so happy to see us there because they felt like we had such a positive impact on their son. And you're just kind of, you don't realize, I don't think so many coaches realize, and I didn't, I still don't all the time, how big of an impact we have on these young people. So, I mean, that was one of my most rewarding days of my life, I thought at the time. Um, and then about three months ago, I get a, a text from him with a picture attached. So I click on it and it's an ultrasound picture. Uh, him and his wife are expecting their first child. Um, so, I mean, that's when I think you realize the impact that we, ha- we as coaches are capable of having on these young people um, is when they're inviting you to their wedding and they're sending you, as soon as they find out they're having their first child, you get a text. Um, and then his wife, his wife invited my wife to her baby shower. Um, so now you're talking about a relationship that's gone on for, I've been out of there for three years. He was for eight or nine years. Um, and the impact that it's just so humbling, I think is the real word to realize the impact that we have on these young people that we're uh, fortunate enough to be connected to. Yeah, that's a great story. Uh, matter of fact, you need to start your own podcast, man. Great questions. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but you are a transformational coach. And the relationships never end, it sounds like. You're doing a great job. Just from that story alone, you're having a great impact on kids, man. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you. And that's a – what book is that? It's, I've read it. It's been – I got so many uh, – about talks about being a transformational or a transactional coach. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to remember his in, name. In, uh, inside Out Coaching. Inside Out. Man. Yeah. It should be in every coach's library, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then going, kind of a segue, my last question for you, what, what's, what's, what book are you, what's the most recent book you've read and what's the best book you've ever read in, in the coaching realm? Well, um, actually, um, I should actually read actually a lot more than I do. <laughs> um, but the, the most current book um, is uh, The 3D Coach by Jeff Duke. Okay. Um, so you're kind of trying to capture the heart of the kids and so forth. Uh, it's kind of, it's kind of similar, um, to the inside out coaching on that taking, you know, more of a, um, kind of a Christian based, uh, approach to your coaching, Uh you know what I'm saying? Just kind of a different approach. And it just really makes me think, um, but I, I gotta tell you the energy bus was my all time favorite from John Gordon because I still use that analogy on getting on the bus with my team. So, um, but the 3d coach is what I do now what I'm reading right now. So. Cool. Good. Um, I, 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 John Gordon, that's probably, that was one of the first real books that I really got my interest into those types of things. And then um, one of my favorites recently uh, is a guy is Simon Sinek. Yeah. Simon yeah. Sinek, uh, talks about the circle, the golden circle of, find your why um, and, you know, why you do things, how you do, what you do, why you, what you do, how you do it and why you do it is really at the core. Um, So one of the things I challenged myself to this past year was why, why am I doing that? Why do I want to coach? Why do I want to be a part of these young people's lives? And it really forced you to kind of do some self-reflection, but his books are so good when you talk about kind of the psychology of success and, you know, he gets into some pretty deep stuff about the chemicals in our brain and how rewarding one thing produces this one chemical and drives these behaviors. And 
it was really just the, the, and so he does has a ton of stuff on youtube and some really great uh talks that he does on there but he's yeah john gordon's a great one uh there's so many good ones though absolutely and i tell you what i love what you're doing is you're continually studying and trying to get better man you're trying to improve your craft man and that's a, that's a sign so i i know i know eventually you're going to get back into um being a head coach i know if i was a principal i would hire you so i know i appreciate that <laughs> I, I mean so i'm trying to give you a plug because i know <laughs> i know a good coach when i when i listen and so forth you're doing the right things and uh i wish you the best man in your new uh your new situation there and getting your house built and then um it sounds like you're just doing an absolute fabulous job with the kids oh uh, sometimes sometimes i wonder you know somebody's people tell us my wife and i all the time I don't know how you guys pull this off. And our, our automatic response is, I'm not sure that we are pulling it off. <laughs> you know, we're just kind of surviving, it feels like sometimes. But, you know, we're very blessed and fortunate. Um, so, yeah, but trying to move five kids under the age of 10 and all their toys and everything to a new house has uh, become quite a quite a task here the last couple of weeks. So, yeah, we're we're very lucky and, and happy to get started here. And I got to tell you what what you're doing and so many other guys are doing like you said earlier, growing the game is just um, something that we need a lot more of, I believe. And I had a coach tell me one time that, you know, you should always leave the game better when better than what you found it. Contribute to contribute to the game, contribute to the craft. Um, and and I, 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 pre, I feel very humbled that you asked me to be on it as I looked on it whenever anybody would ever ask that. But then to go back and look at the, the list of guests that you've had and to, to include me in that is uh very humbling but i think you're i've listened i listened to i've been subscribed to yours for a while but listen to them and you're just doing a fantastic job getting getting guys and uh on here and the way the dissemination of information um this day and age is just fantastic if, if we can get more coaches to do what you're doing and what i'm trying to do and listen and learn from guys that and those guys are all trying to learn too um, so I think it's so much of coaching is just sharing information. And, and I know I greatly appreciate you being one of the people that kind of puts that out there and along with your own ideas and thoughts and philosophies and things and helping young people grow. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for the kind words, man. I appreciate everything you're doing and uh, hopefully we can connect eventually uh, at maybe one of the clinics and so forth. Um, Cause uh, man, you and I are the, um, we're the, uh, we're the soldiers, man. Right. We're the soldiers. I, of the I game. agree. Yes. I'd love <laughs> to get together. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Jason, thank you so much, man. I, w I wish you the best. And uh, tell all the R's I said hello. I will do that. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate you having me. All right. Thanks, coach. Take care now. Thank you. All thank right. you. Bye now. Coaches, I got an exciting announcement. On September 14, 2019, the Legends on the Lake Basketball Coaching Clinic will be back. Um, we're really excited to host a great clinic this year. Uh, we will have the top coaches in the state of Georgia and around the country uh, attend our 2019 clinic here at Lake Oconee Academy in Greensboro, Georgia. The clinic will go from 8 a.m. until 6 p.m. We, we feel like we are the most unique coaches clinic in the country and that we will have a live demonstration team from Middle Georgia Prep School demonstrating all the on-court activities for the speakers. In addition, we'll have the best high school coaches from states like Georgia, Wisconsin, Alabama, Tennessee, Missouri, and New Jersey. 
We have speakers starting at 8 a.m. And we will have our last speaker at 3.45 p.m. We provide the coaches with a meal, snacks, shirt, everything they need in our beautiful new facility here at Lake Oconee Academy. You cannot go wrong. If you're interested in signing up for this clinic, I will give you a special deal. Please put a special code of LEGENDS. When you email me at FurtadoK57 at gmail.com, I will give you a special discount if you come to our clinic. And also, I'll provide you any hotels that are close by the school. We're right off of I-20 here in Greensboro, Georgia. Looking forward to seeing all you coaches. Take care. Hey, coaches. This is Nick Bartlett with Dr. Dish Basketball, and you're listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Make sure to check us out at drdishbasketball.com and on Twitter and Instagram at at drdishbball for daily basketball drills, tips, inspiration, and how we've revolutionized the basketball shooting machine over here at Dr. Dish. Also mention this podcast and you will receive an exclusive discount on your next Dr. Dish purchase. Thanks for tuning in.